Hey, let's, uh, let's start with prayer. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's start with a, a Puritan uh, prayer. I love these prayers that, um, that we, we've read through a, a lot of these before, but this is a beautiful one, and I, and I kind of take it as a, as a mission statement for my life, is as I pursue my heavenly journey by your grace, let me be known as a man who with no aim but the burning desire for thee and the good and the salvation of my fellow men. Now, I want to start out giving a shout out to the dads out there. It's Father's Day, and, um, and uh, so I want to encourage the dads to continue to mentor their children, model, and simply be there, and then love your wives unconditionally. It's a great, great model for your children. And um, I have a couple quotes. I love this quote, and this is from probably someone who may not even be a believer named Tony Robbins. It says, when a man is a father, he steps up. He's making a choice. Anyone can have a child, but being a father is a, is a choice. You have to decide, there is something I'm here to serve greater than myself, my children, and my family. And when that happens... A boy becomes a man. And then Max Lucado, you can never go bad with him. My father didn't do anything unusual. He only did what dads are supposed to do, be there. So one of the purposes of us being up here and, uh, and teaching the elders, uh, uh, taking a segment, is so that you can get to know us a little bit. And I know a lot of y'all, but um, just to, to share, I've been a Christian for uh, a long, long time, since I was six, and I'm old now, so uh, that tells you how long. And Sue and I started visiting Bethel in 1983 when we were in medical school in Galveston and joined Bethel in 1984. We have three kids, uh, Nathaniel, David, and Carrie, and uh, Nathaniel just uh, is with Dawson, and they just got back from Thailand. Uh, they were uh, teaching the, those guys how to uh, do cryptocurrency fraud research, and so they're back on the ground, but they're not here today. And you've seen my little Milan running around. Uh, she's one of my grandchildren. Then David and Katie live in Tyler as well, and they have two children, uh, Lily and Paige. And then Carrie is married to Jordan, and they're rooting me on right there. And they have Andrew and Grace. Um, in my family, we were taught about Jesus when, when uh, we were very, very small. And a lot of that teaching came through the women in our family, uh, you know, really. Uh, my mom, of course, and then my two grandmothers, and then I had godly aunts that couldn't go anywhere without telling people about Jesus. I mean, it was just, like, unbelievable. But my great-grandfather, Kummerfeld, was a Baptist preacher in Germany, and uh, he basically moved his family before the turn of the 1900th century to bring his family... <laughs> bring his family to uh, the United States. And so he did what was right for his family. In those, in those May, uh, 63 years of being a Christian, you have a lot of faith stories that, uh, that come up. And I'm not going to 
bore you with a lot of them, but for the singles out there, since you can't celebrate Father's Day, here's one of my big ones, is that when I was applying to medical school uh, in 1975, 74, I applied to a ton of medical schools, and uh, I was sitting on my bed one day looking at uh, the acceptance rate at two schools in Texas, and they took 20 people out of 400 applications, and that was better by far than a lot of the, the uh, odds of getting in in California where I grew up. And so on that whim, I applied, I got accepted, and then I wasn't very happy about it. Oh. I got accepted in January, and I wasn't very happy about it. But the byproduct is this, that I met Sue. Uh, we've been married for 44 and a half years, and it's cool. <laughs> so my encouragement to you singles is uh, the fact that you don't even have to make great decisions. You just have, <laughs> you just have to be available. I'm going to tell you one other quick one that is, un, that is equally unbelievable is that when uh, Carrie and Jordan were pregnant with their, well, Carrie was pregnant, uh, with their uh, first one, at 20 weeks, they uh, gave, Carrie gave me a call and I was in the office. I can remember this like yesterday. And she says, um, well, the ultrasound's a little off. I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, we think that uh, Andrew, future Andrew, has uh, congenital pulmonary airway malformation. And I said, what does that mean? And she says, I don't know for sure. And I said, let me call Rod Rick Rogers. And so the way that that all turned out was this, that he had a big cyst in his lung. He had one good lung and one cyst, but the trouble was it was pushing his heart all the way off to the side. And there was the potential for gaining a bunch of fluid and uh, even hydrops flew it on the brain and that my precious daughter could get sick as well. So they sent her to Dallas and uh, they immediately looked at this and they said, we don't see this very often, you need to go down to Houston. And the options were that, that she could miscarry or she could deliver a child that couldn't breathe and the child wouldn't survive. So that's what we were facing and um, Jordan took her down there every week. We had great uh, care. She carried Andrew through, uh, through uh, term, delivered without problems, and at six months, he had video-assisted uh, thoracic surgery, took the cyst out, good lung came in, and uh, he is our wildest grandchild. <laughs> so, praise God for that. Uh, I've been a practicing cardiologist in Tyler, Texas since 1984, and we came to Tyler because of our connections in, uh, in uh, uh, Galveston, and so I've got a, a picture right there. We've changed a little bit, but this is some of our baseline. If you recognize Lloyd Olson, my wife, Lee and Donna Reidenauer, and uh, Jerry Putman, those were the early years. So that brings us to what we're doing, doing today, and in my business, when people fill in for a practice, this is locum tenens. And so this week, as you know, Eric's in Italy, and I can't, haven't seen my call. He's probably developing a company or creating another ministry for something for us to participate in, something like that. But when 
Never miss a meeting, by the way, because this whole thing started after I missed an elder meeting, and the next week got this long email, and you're starting through this email, and it's like, okay, it's all right, and then you get to the end of it, and it says, Ken Comerfeld, uh, June 19th, Colossians 2, 16 through 23, and you go, oh, well, I told my wife that I was terrified, and she goes, oh, the women just studied Colossians. You have a multiplicity of resources. Just go with them. <laughs> and then Susan Barton says, don't try to be like Eric. Just, just do it. It's no big deal. And then Eric said that he assigned each of these pieces to us as uh, elders, and I felt like that was really prayed over. And then to trump all that, Flory this morning told me, God used a jackass in the Old Testament, so there's no problem with, with what he's going to do this morning. So let's get to the passage. Today I want to be your fellow patient and student with you. I'm not going to be a doctor. One thing I wanted to start out with is we studied the Gospels and cross-referenced the Gospels for six months or more, and I wanted to say, let's start what Jesus said about himself. So the first thing that he said that I want to bring up is he referred to himself as I am. Now, that is a reference back to uh, Exodus 3 when Moses was saying, well, how do I, how do I tell the Israelites who you are? And uh, God said, I am who I am. So in John 8:58, Jesus said that before Abraham was born, I am. So, Jesus claimed to be God. He didn't claim to be a God. He claimed to be the God. Then we come to one of our, my favorite verses, uh, John 14, 6, that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So, Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways to get to God. I'm not a partial mediator. I am the one. And then you remember when we were studying through Mark, and it's also referenced in John 19, that Jesus went through that whole suffering experience, and at the end, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm almost done, or he said, it's finished. And then a visible outcropping of that whole issue was the veil was torn. And if you remember, this veil was 18 inches or so thick, develop, uh, dividing up the Holy of Holies from the rest of the rest of the temple. And you remember when we studied Mark that the, Eric brought up uh, the fact that there were lots of, and immediately this happened. Well, when Jesus took his last breath, and immediately the veil was torn from the bottom to the top, and the Holy of Holies no longer existed because we could approach God because of the fact of what Jesus had done. So salvation is the work of Jesus alone, not plus something else. And what I really like, too, is the fact that you remember when Jesus talked about the temple and he said, hey, you know what, uh, we'll break down this, I'll break down this temple and in three days I'll build it back up. And they were kind of moping around the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and they were saying, well, he can't do that. 
they really knew what he was talking about because after the crucifixion, they went to the Romans, and what did they say? They said, we remember while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise again. That last deception will be worse than the first. So they sealed the tomb. Did it help? No, it didn't help. So Satan was defeated, and that, and he's been sowing uh, seeds of, of confusion and doubt ever since then. And that's what leads us in to what was happening at the church of Colossae, because it was the deceptions that were occurring. So you remember uh, capitalizing on what uh, Eric has uh, been talking about and Mark before him and, and Scott, is the theme of Colossians is the complete, not the partial, the complete adequacy of Christ contrasted with the emptiness of human philosophy. And so... Colossians 2, 9, and 10 that we studied last week said, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. So, since we're downtown Bethel, we have to have a big idea. So the big idea is don't add anything to Jesus. What he did was not just sufficient. It's not just enough. He is preeminent. He's the fullness of deity in bodily form. So last week, and I wasn't here, but we watched it on Monday. Here's a quick review of what that meant for us. In Colossians 2.11, the domination of our flesh has been broken. 2.12, our former manner of life is ended. The second half of 12, we have been raised from a spiritual death. The next verse, we have been given new life. Our transgressions have been forgiven. Our debt to God has been paid, and our spiritual enemy has been defeated. Now, what I love about that is the fact that Eric coalesced it into one thing. He said, our old self was nailed to the cross and was eviscerated. We were marked for death, and after the cross, we are marked for life. And that takes that all in. So as a result, we step into freedom, and our verse starts out with the word, therefore. So let me reread the first segment here on 16 and 17. It says, therefore... Do not allow, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So what they were trying to do, the Judaizers, is basically pull them back into the lack of freedom. They wanted them to be still part of this. Jesus plus... Go to, go to church on Saturday, do these uh, festivals and all that. And in what Paul tells us in Romans is Christ is the end of the law in Romans 10.4. Here's a mockingbird quote that I really think is excellent is it, it, in reference to this. It says, with the law, we reach an impasse, and this impasse brings us to our need for mercy. 
In our failure, we are driven to the grace given at the cross. Because of God's sacrifice in Jesus, the law's temple curtain was torn, and the impossible is forever possible. We stand in the presence of God because that veil has been torn. So that's awesome, right? I mean, no hope without that. Um, and then uh, verse 18 and 19, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. For such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligament and sinews, uh, grows as God causes it to grow. So we've, we've uh, talked a lot about the um, ascetics and the pagans and, and the Gnostics. What they were doing is saying, Jesus isn't your mediator. You're, uh, you have to have these angels. And there are other experiences over and above your salvation experience and being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something else you need to be looking for. And that was totally wrong. Another subtle deception that Satan threw, in, threw into the church. And, um, and, the, and the deal was they just had lost their connection with Jesus being the uh, sole a sole person that made all this happen. It's simply wrong. He is preeminent. He is the head. And in Colossians 2, 3, from a few weeks ago, it says, in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Starting in verse 20, if you want to look with me, there's another, another uh, connection uh, of word since. Since you died with Christ... To the basic principles of this world, why, as though you are still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are used on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack in value with respect to restraining sensual indulgence. What Paul was arguing against there is that asceticism basically said, if you're real disciplined, if you get up at four in the morning and uh, read the Bible every day, which isn't bad, but if you feel like you're obligated to do that because you're less, then it is something that you're doing yourself and you're basically saying, Jesus plus what I'm doing right now. Same thing with, uh, but it leads to pride and it leads us to an inward uh, uh, assessment of where we are spiritually that basically says, Jesus plus these other things that I do are how we, how we are, are sanctified in our lives. You know, um, we live in the already and not yet. And that's, that's where I want to kind of get to this morning. The power of sin has been broken through the work of Jesus, but sin is still present. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
the key issue that we don't want to fall into is none of the good works that we do after we're believers are because of us. We're conduits of Jesus in his work, uh, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. In fact, uh, I didn't know this, but Luther's first thesis that he, that he pasted up on the wall said this. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers would be one of repentance. So that kind of puts us in, our, in, a, in a great place because the Christian life is really the life of Jesus indwelling us. We're conduits. He's preeminent. He's done everything, and nothing needs to be added at all. So there are some of these things that are still out there today, and you guys can, can think in your own minds about what's out there in terms of there are social causes that are good, but they're not salvation issues. There are lots of people out there that are saying that you need to have this experience or you need to be successful financially to really know that God's blessed you. Don't buy into any of that because it's, it's just not true. But the main deception is Jesus is a way, and you'll hear it all the time. You're, they'll say, it's okay that you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is is the way, the truth, and the life. But I don't really believe that. There's, there are other ways to God. And it's a deception that will sneak in and, under, and undergird what, we're, what we really believe. So the main takeaway on, on that is look out because there's, you've got to avoid compromise. And these false teachings can, can creep in. Now, as we apply this personally, and this is what I really felt like that as a, as a physician for a long, long time, everybody's got their stuff. And I know that they have their stuff, and there's no one that walks around that has it all together. So that being the premise, let's apply the preeminence of Jesus to a couple different aspects of things. In the last chapter of the last book in the Bible... Jesus described himself as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He didn't, didn't say, I'm almost good enough or whatever. And so there he is at the very end of time. He's saying, I've got it all. So let's look at our ver vertical relationship with God. How does God see us? He sees us wrapped in Jesus' righteousness. Now that is empowering because of the fact that even though we're in this already and not yet, that God doesn't see us as our sin. He sees us as what Jesus has done for us. And um, the biggest question that we face in life is what? Do I matter? In your darkness of your, when you're asleep at night and you're wondering about all the things that you've screwed up, you wonder, do I matter? Do I matter? And what does God say to us? You're wrapped in Jesus' righteousness. Jesus died. If he didn't die for anybody else, he died for you and you and you and you. We've been, um, so bathe in that and then understand what, uh, there's a book that we have been looking at uh, in our small group called Gentle and Lowly by a, a pastor named Dane Ortland. And it was almost remarkable 
that we learn this fact that Jesus moves toward us as sinners. He doesn't run away from us. So try this on for size. It's a quote. He says, when you sin, don't give up. Let him pick you up and put you on your feet with fresh dignity. And then I love this part. He lifts your chin. He looks you in the eye and defines your existence. And he says, you and me and I and you. Isn't that unbelievable? The other thing is there's a lot of pain and agony in life, isn't there? I mean, it's not, it's not just easy. There's sickness and there, there are things that, uh, that happen. And the, the other concept is the fact that nothing touches us that Jesus has not mediated. He has mediated every pain in your life. So when you think about it and you think about why has this happened to me or why, why does this happen, realize this. You're wrapped in righteousness. That pain has had to go through Jesus to get to you. And then if you're like me, you're your own worst critic. So whether it is spiritual warfare or it's your own overactive conscience, you're always falling short. I'm always saying, oh, I could have done that better, or what, I wish I would have done this, or man, I really... But you know what? We're free of that. We're free of that because even though we're in the not yet yet, we're, we're protected. We can rise above that because the victory has been won. Because why? Because Jesus is preeminent. Because he did everything. And I, I love that because that hits me right where I am. And then as a result, that when you get scared and fearful, and we all do, that, that basically you can have the hope and courage to, to uh, deal with that. Orland also gave us another, uh, another concept that was about, um, about Jesus' intercession for us. In Hebrews 7.25, it actually says that Jesus is actively right now making intercession for us. And can you imagine what it would be like if we walked away from here realizing that if you could hear Jesus in the next room praying for you by name? But that's what's happening. Now, how does that happen with just even all the people in this room? I don't know, but I know it's true, and he says that he does that for us in human form because he isn't some strange spirit in terms of uh, up there. Let's also talk about how the preeminence of Christ affects our relationships with one another. The first thing is, is the fact that we should look at each other as, as how God looks at us. So when you think about uh, someone else, they're wrapped in the same righteousness you are. So that puts us in a good place right away. And then the next thing is the fact that as I said, as a physician, and you, even though I'm a cardiologist, I'm not a psychologist, you hear everything. And a lot of uh, disease is, is manifested in, in, uh, in bodily symptoms. It just is. And so what would happen if we had the freedom to be honest with each other and say, me too, I struggle with that? Because what happens with people is we're isolated in our own brains and we think, oh, I'm the only one that has this problem. 
and, and it's just not true. And last but not least, uh, the, one of the things I thought about was Os I came across an Oswald Chambers quote that said, if God gives you insight into some shortcoming, perceived shortcoming of one of your fellow believers, pray for them. They don't need your advice. Okay? Okay, what about, what about the church? What about the relationship of, of uh, Bethel with our culture? Well, one of the things that, is, uh, that is, we're, we're going to be coming upon is with the medical school coming to Tyler, we're going to conservatively have an increase in population of probably 30 or 40,000 people over the next five years for sure. And uh, in our little holy huddle here in Tyler, Texas, the Bible Belt is not going to look the same five or ten years from now. So there's going to be more diversity, but we need to cling to our roots. And at, on the Bethel website, the, uh, there are eight essentials that you can, I'm not going to read them, but you can look at the Bethel website and they're all right there. But those are essentials that, that us as leaders and would take a bullet for. Now, how often we take communion, whether or not we celebrate certain holidays, um, whether or not you're baptized as an infant or not, those are not those are negotiables as far as we're concerned. But these are the eight things that we would take take a bullet for. So as Ross encouraged us a couple weeks ago at a, at a retreat, is that we need to be rooted in these principles, but we need to be relevant as a church. I want Bethel Bible Church, especially downtown Bethel, to continue to be a safe place for people to seek out Jesus, which means that you don't expect someone that's not a believer to act like a believer. So we're going to have to be comfortable enough in our own skin to have other people come here and have us, have us show them the, the love of Jesus. So how did it work out for Colossae? Well, they had an earthquake in about 70, and it is still looks just like this. So the other philosophies, all that kind of stuff, didn't really pan out for them, did it? It just is, is a road by a hill. I want to uh, finish today by talking about giving you a story. I like to tell stories, and this is a story about Jim Strong, and I'll try to get through this without uh, weeping. Um, Jim uh, was a patient. He was a friend, um, and he came to Bethel from Minnesota via Florida, and this was a few years ago, and you know... Uh, Paul instructed Timothy at the church in Ephesus, which was, Ephesus was a total mess. I'm not saying Tyler's even close yet. But what did, what did uh, Timothy get instructed? He said, love unbelievers from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Not by compromise, but by holding to your virtues, but just loving, loving people. Well, when Jim came to came to uh, Bethel, and I don't even remember who he knew, but I'm going to tell you that this story is about 30 or 40 of y'all and some people that aren't here. Um, now, he didn't agree with most of these principles. 
In fact, he was kind of, in a lot of ways, prideful about the fact that he didn't because he was a northerner and he was a teacher and he, and he kind of knew more than, uh, than a lot of people did. And what happened over a period of time is that people didn't shun him. They didn't say, oh, Jim, you know, we don't want you here because you're contaminating our belief system. They loved him. And there are 30 or 40 people in small group, in men's group, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, community group. They all just kept, kept loving him. And they loved him and loved him. And that love was why he came to Jesus. And the crazy thing was the fact that when I went, into, went to his uh, service, I had not, because of COVID, had not seen him except for once briefly in the office and didn't have the opportunity to know that he had, he had really been converted, that he met Jesus. And Eric didn't tell me. So I'm sitting right back there, and I'm trying to figure out how somebody can be a met, a a member of Bethel Bible Church when I thought he wasn't a believer. Well, about a year and a half ago, he was in the hospital, and Eric met with him, and he just melted into Jesus because, why? Because of the fact that people loved him. They loved him. They just did what they were supposed to do. And, um, and after 80 years of unbelief, that's that's pretty remarkable to me because usually the fact that you kind of know what you believe when you, uh, when you get that far in life. But the, he came to Jesus, and he's going to welcome us into the kingdom, and it's a beautiful story that, that Bethel loved people and was a safe place for Jim to be known and to get known and to be loved. So, in conclusion... Don't add anything to what Jesus has already done. He's not only sufficient, he's not only more than enough, he's preeminent, and he's all fullness of deity in bodily form. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand for a, a benediction. I'm not going to sing this like Mark did, because <laughs> I had a cold a couple weeks ago, and but Mark was so beautiful when he did it that I just wouldn't want to, you know. Okay, out of 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. May the Lord be with you all. Amen.